0: Hey there, with the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos-Gauspo. Oh Well, for all of our new listeners, and uh, we know there's a lot more of you guys out there, thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, we have a website, Pirates.com, where we have all sorts of great information, some great stories, uh, to go along with our pod. Uh, so check that out. You can also find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, uh, subscribe to the show on any podcasting app that you have. Um, you know, definitely let, let
1: us, let us know if your podcasting app can't find us.
0: Yes, please do. Um, and we were trying to troubleshoot Spotify. Uh, hopefully that'll be up and running here real soon. Um, not sure what happened with that, but it broke it. We're getting it fixed. So all you Spotify listeners, hang tight. Um, But uh, yeah, thanks for finding us. Um, We're definitely excited to have a whole bunch of new listeners. Um, And especially coming off that that Stanford game. um, I know a lot of people were very concerned, very uh, worried about the future of the the program, about the future of the season. But uh, hopefully, you know, we were able to get people to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. And it's like Stanford was Stanford is good this past week. uh, Debacle at USC aside. um, Yeah. So you bring that up, you
2: bring up this Stanford game and, and it's funny because like you said, Sammy, we tried to, to help coach slash, you know, therapy, our listener base through the last game. And, And like you said, I think, you know, we tried to, to get us get you down off that ledge.
1: Let, let's be clear. The therapy was just as much for us as it was for y'all. <laughs>
2: That's true. That is true. Fair enough. Um, but to Sam's point, even though we didn't play this past weekend, Stanford did play. And they got shredded by, wait for it, a freshman quarterback who hadn't played before, Keedon Slovis. Right, who I think threw like five incomplete passes in this game, um, torched the team, right, and given all the guys that Scuzz mentioned last week, although Scuzz mentioned them all in making a very effective point that I'm going to circle back to in a second, you can throw Keaton Slovis right into that group as one more guy not named Hunter Johnson, um, who... Had a really big day right out of the gate. Except, except there- one
0: one thing I, I do want to mention with with Slovis is he got his his jitters out in week one. So he Ru- you know so he came in to that week two game knowing he was the man, and you know had that full week of practice to to dial it in, and then he was able to go in and light up Stanford. Excellent point, point. and with that in mind. There are kind of two different
2: sets of circumstances that I want to go over here right now. Um, and before I go into the first set, um, I just want to preface this by saying, because it's important, that I love, love both of the guys I'm about to mention. But with that said, let's just time stamp this right now. It's September 10th, late in the evening on September 10th, 2019. And as we currently stand, Hunter Johnson can't throw, and Lamar Jackson is the greatest quarterback on the face of the planet. I would submit that the reality in both of those situations is somewhere in the middle, and that everyone involving both of those guys in the past week or less probably dial it back. Um, and, and there's probably some middle ground that's going to present itself.
1: The I speak second, for all Ravens fans when I say, how dare you, sir? <laughs> or, <laughs> or,
2: or anyone who has Lamar Jackson on their fantasy how football team. How dare you? Yeah. Um, it's because since I mean you're
1: a Ravens fan. Uh, I said I didn't say I was. I just said I
0: speak for them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing, um, again, having just talked about middle ground, I personally would submit that the second situation is a little more binary and it goes right into everything we talked about last week and right into everything that we're talking about this week based on Keaton Slovis and all these other first year guys who aren't Hunter Johnson, who've come out and had big games or guys who are transfer quarterbacks, Justin Fields, et cetera, who are lighting the world on fire. I would submit this is a binary situation, and there are two possibilities. One of those possibilities is that Hunter Johnson, the five-star, number one recruit in his class, arguably the most lauded player at the Elite 11 quarterback camp who drew rave reviews while at Clemson before transferring to Northwestern, is the worst quarterback in this entire group of guys. Or maybe... The only team in this group that decided to spend months leading up to and including the first game of the season juggling their guy with another guy didn't have the best game plan of all of the teams in the group. Um, your opinion as a listener at, a, at home maybe on any part of the spectrum in those two sets of circumstances – But either way, the good news is we are absolutely going to get answers to all of this starting
1: this Saturday, for sure. Maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's, uh, you know, UNLV, let's go. Yeah. Um, So UNLV uh, comes into this game um, one and one after getting absolutely obliterated. Last week by Arkansas State um, And, you know Running all over Southern Utah In week one Um, So, kind of Tale of two games I mean, the Southern Utah game They dominated the second and third quarter Just running, 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 running Running, running, running And then uh, They struggled Against Arkansas State and sure, Arkansas State had the uh, emotion of their their head coach coming back after his wife uh, tragically passed away from cancer. It um, was his first game back. But that being that being said, they took it to UNLV, and like UNLV needed uh, some late garbage time scores to even make it, you know, forty three
1: seventeen. Well, so something that's interesting. We've had some some uh, some awesome back and forth with uh, Michael Wintermute. Who runs a UNLV blog uh, out in Las Vegas? Um, well, I, I think out in Las Vegas. Um, oh yeah, he talked about tailgating, definitely out in, out in La- Las Vegas. Anyways, or the uh, Vegas metro good.
0: area. There's other areas besides just Las Vegas proper.
1: True. Pour one out for Henderson. Um. So, anyways, we have some. We've had some good back and forth. And one of the questions we asked him about UNLV is you know, what's the mindset around that program right now? You know, this is the the fifth year of this coaching staff. They've got, you know, a gargantuan uh, sea change coming next year when the Raiders show up in Vegas and they start playing in an NFL stadium. Um, and his comment is that, you know, the mindset right now is there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of apathy. Um, the, the apathy has been around for a while, but what people are really angry about coming off of last week is that this felt like a setback back to when they were going through some really rough times last season, Armani Rogers, their quarterback was injured and out for, I think like roughly six games in the middle of last year. And it feels like in year five, they should be doing better. Um, their athletic director has put a stamp on this year that says bowl game or bust and going into next year, they're either going to build off that momentum or they're going to blow it up and start over. So, That's a pretty interesting mindset. I saw an article just now that there were questions coming out of that game because of how poorly he threw the ball if Armani Rodgers was even going to be the starting quarterback, if they were going to to go uh, to their, technically their third string because their second string guy is out with a foot injury. So um, they have named Rodgers the starter. That's, you know, probably the right call and and maybe not as good for us given his skill set. But this is a team that did not, Meet expectations last week. Their their own expectations, let alone anybody else's, and I think they're going to be coming to, to to Evanston hungry, for sure. And they're they really are a fascinating
2: team, and they're a team that when you look at the stats and then you look at the video, you. They're a team you absolutely know exactly what UNLV is based on what you see on tape for good and bad. It's very fascinating to watch, and it's very illustrative, number one, of the fact that of two teams who are coming up eventually on Northwestern's schedule, Nebraska, and maybe even more as an apt comparison, Illinois, um, in terms of what Rodgers is, he's a fascinating Quarterback, and when you watch him on tape, he's really fascinating. He threw a couple passes in the Arkansas State game that rank among some of the worst passes I've seen through. Um, he threw a pick six at the beginning of the game on a simple five-yard slant pass. Where I don't, I don't know what happened to the ball when it left his hand. I don't. I can't really explain how it happened. Um, he has a fine arm. Some of his passes are. I mean, for those of you hand wringing at Hunter's performance, you should watch this guy throw. Whoa, Nelly! Well, well, and
1: that's that's been his his deal. So last year, uh, he only played in in six games, only threw 117 passes, 44 percent completion. Uh, he was a bit better his first year, 52 percent. And and I, I'll remind everyone from from our preview, like this guy had. You know, interest from UCLA, interest from Washington. This is arguably arguably the biggest recruit that UNLV has ever had.
2: It's fascinating, too, Scuzz, because I feel like everything you said about Isaiah Williams in the Illinois pod is probably true of Armani Rogers. I bet a lot of major Pac-12 schools were like, so how about wide receiver? How do you feel about that? He's got got
0: size, and he's 6'5". Oh, and... and 225?
2: And fast. I mean, this is a guy who potentially could catch on in the NFL as a receiver. He's fast. And this is what's so important about UNLV, and you watch it on film. They are a team that does not control the line of scrimmage. And I mean, I don't... I mean, I think it's fairly safe to put a Sun Belt defense up against Northwesterns and say... I can respect Arkansas State's defense and at the same time say we probably control the line of scrimmage way better than they do. UNLV does not control the line of scrimmage offensively at all. Uh, In the Arkansas State game, they probably had one decent hole on a running game. What they have is Armani Rodgers can run like a deer. And as fast as he is, he's not fast compared to Charles Williams who is frankly terrifying and is really the only offensive player who had a great game through both of UNLV's first two games. Um, The fascinating thing for me is, who is their big transfer wide receiver?
1: Randall Grimes, transfer from uh, USC. Played very sparingly his freshman year, wanted to come back to Vegas. He's a local, um, and he's the type of wide receiver that gives Northwestern fits. He's big, 6'4", 200-plus.
2: Right. The interesting thing relative to their two quarterback deal, right, is Kenyon Oblad, their backup, um is a pocket passer type quarterback and was 3 for 3 in Arkansas against Arkansas State I, again. The game was a blowout by that point. But he's, you know, if you're looking to involve Grimes in the offense, you kind of need him to be the one who did it. I mean, like you were texting this afternoon, uh Scuds and saying basically like Randall Grimes is incredibly dangerous. One out of every two times, Armani Rogers (laughs) throws the ball to him. Yeah, pretty much. The other time it's not getting to him. Um, So there's that fascinating thing where it's like, given everything that went wrong, because Rogers was eight of 23 last week. And I mean, it was a bad eight of 23. If they pull the trigger on him, on one hand, does it involve Grimes more? The thing is, when you watch the tape, the real feel you get is UNLV has one thing they can do on offense, and that is read option where both guys are crazy fast. Williams ran for 170 yards. One of, he had a long of 78, and he had a bunch of plays around the outside. One of those plays went up the middle. This guy did it on his own. They run lateral stretch read option. Where it's like one guy's going left or one guy's going right, their line just doesn't get it
0: done. They is that, that kind of try... like the? Is it reminiscent of the uh, the Tea Party, the Kusak Damian Anderson Tea Party?
2: Yeah, although like not to throw shade, like come on, Da got up through the hole sometimes. Come
0: on, don't
2: don't throw come on, <laughs> on, on don't throw shade at
0: Austin King, etc. I'm, not, holes. I'm Jeff, not. I'm absolutely not. Jeff Roll. It was, <laughs> that was more just on on the scheme, not not as a result. Is, no. To wide point, wide, them, wide splits
1: on that O-line really helped yeah. that aspect too it's that kind of feel though to your point
2: where like that wide split west coast mountain west feeling offense that's what they run and they run mesh where the guys you know one guy's going left one guy's going light, left one guy's going right they're going to count on you to wait for it miss tackles and they're going to try to get around the outside with you on speed because that's that's it They don't have it. And while Rodgers is on, with all due respect to the wonderful Randall Grimes, if Rodgers is on the field, like, the throwing part isn't really an option in their game. They're going to try to beat you around the outside. They tried, like, Williams averaged close to nine yards a carry. He had a good game. Rodgers had one 14-yard play, and that was his yards for the day. And that was the difference. It's like they, at some point, having two fast guys isn't enough. And I think that's where they're going to run into big problems against us.
1: Well, and again, to go back to some of our, our, I'll call it insider information, You know, Mike's perspective is that last week they got away from that run game way too early. And once the passes started falling, it, it, it just kind of spiraled out of control because now they've they've gone away from the run game. They're falling behind. They've got to throw to catch up. And Rodgers isn't comfortable in that. He he need, He's a rhythm player. Um, that mesh concept you just described, John, like you can very easily see that turning into uh, an RPO situation. And that's something that Northwestern has at times struggled to defend. You think about some, you know, Iowa games, et cetera, in the past. So hopefully we dusted off some of the prep we did for for Utah in the bowl game last year. I I think that's going to be important. And that tackling component, it has to be there. It was a disaster against Stanford. Um, Frankly, it's a miracle that it didn't, sting us more against Stanford on the, on the scoreboard, but we've got to keep these two guys contained. I think our defense is up for it. I think to your point, John, like controlling the line of scrimmage, you know, sounds like they don't go up the, up the middle that much. Our linebackers and our, our secondary's ability to tackle has been the hallmark of this defense for four years.
2: Right. And that's the thing. Like they, you know, our, our one hiccup last year, right from run defense perspective was Nebraska. This is that kind of look, and frankly, this team's like Nebraska in a
0: lot of ways. Um, will, will, will they give up seventeen-zero leads at halftime to Colorado?
2: <laughs> oh, Sammy, come on! Don't don't you want? You got to savor it, buddy. You got to wait just a little bit longer. Oh, I, Northwestern I, like, is
0: like <laughs> a, like a Nor- fine
1: wine, guys. If Northwestern is down seventeen nothing at half, we're all going to be dead from collective apoplexy. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
2: That's true. But but it's true where it's like. UNLV's—they're planning on pushing no one out of the way offensively. They're going to try to get you with spacing and misdirection and try to find guys out of position. And again, it's great practice because we know we have a good defense who last game put on a really poor tackling performance. And Charles Williams is this guy's like a faster Makai Sergeant, same size kind of guy, um, same type of guy, really shifty. He's phenomenal. Like, he's legitimately amazing and terrifying and fast. They just don't have other guys. Like, they don't have any kind of offensive line presence, anything like that. They just try to space you out and make you miss. It didn't work at all against Arkansas State because, to Mike's point, they probably tried to throw a little bit too much too early, and one half of their two-headed monster was completely contained. Um, But with that said, I think, you know... The real question on a lot of people's minds is is what are we going to be doing when we have the ball against UNLV?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, before we go there, I think just one last point, and I, you know, <laughs> Sam alluded to it a little bit. There was there was some commentary made about Adrian Martinez going to, into the matchup last week against Colorado, and they basically like, we're going to make him throw. That's what we're going to do in this game. Our our defense is going to be structured entirely to contain this run game we're going to be giving those cushions that we always give folks i every week every week somebody's getting upset about the cushions that we're giving it's just it's just what we do y'all it's just part of the equation um we're going to be giving those cushions and daring our Ar- money rogers to to be better than 45% completion that's that's the way this is going to play out on that side of the ball
2: absolutely and i think defensively the reality is For all of UNLV's success, you know, in their first game, offensively, and then lack thereof, and all this stuff with Defensively, you know, to uh, paraphrase the late, great Northwestern coach, Denny Green, they are who we thought we were. Through two games, one of which was against a Big Sky team, they're giving up close to 300 passing yards per game. And that is why they gave up 43 points to Arkansas State. Now, somewhat surprisingly... They didn't have the greatest day uh, on run defense against Arkansas State either. Arkansas State was just kind of all over them. But it's important to remember that UNLV didn't have a particularly great run defense last year either. It was great compared to their past defense, which was horrible. They've got a 3-4 scheme going. And basically, they just have trouble generating a push with the down linemen. That's their problem. They... They... They're just get pushed off the point of attack and their secondary is just an absolute mess and was last year and is continuing to be this year. The one thing they have, and we pointed out in the preview and it remains true, if not more so, is they have good linebackers. In our summer preview, the two guys that I uh, highlighted were their returning second team all preseason Mountain West linebackers, Gabe McCoy and Javin White. They had four total team TFLs against arkansas state those guys had two of them and one of the other ones was against the guy who was the leading tackler in the game Rashad jackson who is a transfer from florida a linebacker who i did not mention but he is been arguably their best defensive player through the first two games of the season those three guys are maybe their best three defensive players and that's three of their four three four linebackers they've got good linebackers they just don't have it everywhere else um they can get pushed around at the line of scrimmage and their pass defense is just woefully out of place. I mean, that's the thing. You watch the highlights from the Arkansas State game, it's just wide open receivers. That's that's what it was. It's just guys getting open, zone coverage blown assignments, guys just wide open downfield. Um that's what's there if we want to let Hunter have it.
0: And and I think that actually leads me into my next point is if we want to let Hunter have it. And I think that because we looked so poor against Stanford. You know, I know we leading into this, you know, all of our all through the summer, we were concerned about this ULV game and that, you know, our offense's playbook was going to be like three plays run left, run right, run middle. Um, and I think that's not going to be the case anymore. You know, we need to get Hunter reps. We need to get him reps, throwing the ball. We need to get him comfortable in the pocket because big 10 season is a week away. And, Sure, we're not going to open up our playbook all the way cuz you know Michigan State looming. Um but you know we're we're going to need to run the ball. But I I would expect to see Hunter throwing more than he would have had the Stanford game not gone the way it did. This is going to be the the giant question mark in this game
1: and I I'll be honest, I don't I don't think there's any plausible scenario that like calms the northwestern fan bases fears here because <laughs> i i i do think that hunter will throw i think he will th- i think he will throw a lot of the same routes that he threw last week against stanford and try to execute better what i don't think we'll see and something that you know we talked amongst ourselves but we didn't talk about it on the podcast last week others have brought this up and rightly so and and, and this is certainly Certainly a critique of, of Mick McCall that we have made many times in the past, and that was the lack of any attempt to throw downfield last week. Now, folks, that does not mean that Mick McCall was on the headset saying, give him the signal to throw the ball in the flat. It's not how it works, right? There were receivers running downfield, but not not a lot. You didn't see until that one throw um, later in the game that, that Skoranek uh drew the pass interference on, like you didn't see a lot of guys going downfield and trying to stretch the defense, trying to test them. I don't think we're going to see that component against UNLV. I think this is going to be a lot of mesh routes that Northwestern likes to run, um, crossing routes over the middle, the 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 hooks, the curls, the out routes. It's going to be a ton of that. I th- I think we will see Hunter moving. You know, we talked a lot last week about how he is – Fast going left, fast going right, and he can throw on the run in both cases, and and stay you know reasonably accurate. I think we're going to see a lot of that. I I I think we're going to try to run up the gut, pass to the to the edges and the flats um, when you know when when UNL's, UNLV's defense uh, crushes into stop a running game. And then when they extend out to defend the flats and the edges, we're going to try to crush up the middle again with our running game. I I think this is going to be, it's not going to be a high-scoring affair. It's not going to be the air raid. We're not going to see, you know, a bunch of 30 and 40-yard passes. It's going to be less vanilla than maybe we saw in, in, other games that have frustrated us in years past against these types of opponents. Maybe
0: vanilla with some sprinkles, maybe. I don't know. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, we're talking about like a twist cone at best. So (laughs) I,
2: I totally agree that I think there's going to be a goal, right. Of just getting some completions, right. Whether it's Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. whether it's, whether it's just short routes, out routes, getting him some completions. Well, well, and
1: and that goes both ways because the receivers need to do a bit better job too.
2: For sure. One thing I will say, though, and if there's a case to be made for any kind of downfield passing, this would be it. One, Arkansas State did a ton of damage against UNLV with their lead receiver, Omar Bayless, who is as close to a Ben Skoranek type as they have. He's like a 6'3", 200-pound guy, and he had a 71-yard completion and averaged 24.8 yards a catch, and they just got him open downfield. I'm not saying we'll be targeting the same way. I will say that for me, because I believe that, you know, Hunter obviously was, it was his first game. He was a little jazzed up. That was part of the reason he was throwing high. But another thing he was doing, especially early on in the game, was just moving through reads really quickly, right? A situation that gives him a couple of options, he was locking on an option really quickly and being like, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Well, if you're looking to work on that issue and be like, look, sit, Go through your progression, find the open guy. UNLV is that team because they don't get sacks. Um, This is a team, like I said, 3-4. The three down linemen do not generate downfield pressure, and their best players are linebackers, but they're run-D-style linebackers. They are not get-into-the-backfield-pass-rush-style linebackers, even though it's a 3-4. This is a team that doesn't generate sacks. So, if you're saying, look... We've got to start taking steps forward on pass pro. And Hunter, you've got to be taking some steps and just working through your progression, finding the open man. This is a baby steps kind of team. This is the kind of team where like... So, I mean, this is all a way of saying, everything Scuzz is saying is true. And also, I think there's a situation to sit in some passes. All kinds of passes can be had here. We just need to get him throwing and get a bunch of these things and let him build a rhythm. And... At, you know, as a big help, we found out that apparently, I mean, with with our team, you never know until you know. But it sounds like Isaiah Bowser is healthy and is going to be out there. He's and, listed.
1: He's listed on the depth chart too, right? As as the starter, right,
2: right. So that's a serious punch we're going to be able to throw at them. Um, this is again, it's their their best players are run D linebackers for sure, but we're going to be able to move the line of scrimmage off the ball with these guys. Arkansas state was able to do it. And that is going to take a lot of pressure off of Hunter in terms of letting him keep passes uh, short. So I don't know, like to what Sam said earlier at the end of the day, I think we're going to let him throw a lot of balls in this game. And I would hope that there's a fair amount of variety.
0: Well, I I do want to move on You know, before we just continue to dive into, you know, dive too deep into this, um, uh, let's let this podcast not get away from us. Uh, but before we do, you know, very excited for, for the home opener. Um, you know, had, you know I, I'm expecting a pretty typical Northwestern home opener. Um, it's afternoon game, two thirty kick. Uh, the weather is supposed to be gorgeous. Um, one note uh, for anyone who wants to come find us. Uh, I, I know we are the West Lot Pirates, but, uh, for the second year in a row, we are not in the West Lot, uh, for our tailgate. Uh, we, we we've moved, uh, from last year we were in the Central Golf Lot, now we're on the South Golf Lot. So if you're, if you want to swing by and say hi, we are in the, we're gonna be in the South Golf Lot, uh, south of Central Avenue, um, you know, just west of the L. Uh, look for the red pirate flag I, I can't tell you exactly where we're going to be Because I don't know exactly where we're going to be But uh, we will be in the South Golf parking lot uh, Swing by, come say hi uh, John and I will both be there We'd love to, to say hey and if, there's, and if there's a disconnect in your mind here
2: Understand, like MacArthur to the Philippines We shall return to the West lot
0: We're going to get back there It just hasn't happened yet um, Let's Quickly run through some of the, the Big Ten results from last week. Um, can, can, any, any particular can, ones you want to run
2: through, Sammy? I can we start? Any you have in mind?
0: Well, I mean, we, we, we definitely talked a lot about um, the Army-Michigan game. How interesting that... No, Colorado! Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> Tatankas! Tatankas! In, in a stadium that was way more filled with red than I've ever seen... Uh, yeah, we got to talk about that, buddy. Um, yeah, no, oh. it's Nebraska traveled. But, so here, here's what's interesting is uh, I I was looking – I saw some stats and tickets on the resale market for the Nebraska – for that Nebraska-Colorado game were like a minimum of 250 to $300. So tell, tell me you're a Colorado fan, um, probably high as a kite, and, you know, you need to – <laughs> you need a couple extra shekels to you have for, to feed for your, weed. your habit. Um and you know someone's offering you like $300 for a ticket you've maybe spent 20 on. Hell yeah, you're going to take it. It's Colorado. I mean, Colorado is not known for the most uh vivacious fans. Um you know they're, they're good fans. Don't don't get me wrong, but they're not like cutthroat, you know, diehard for everything, they're I mean, not—they're not like Nebraska fans who um, willing. To, they have a lot of other options of stuff to do. Yes, lots and lots of other options. Um, so yeah, the, the stadium was. Oh, I mean, it, it was very reminiscent 70%. of Ryan Field. I, I mean, yeah, it was at least fifty percent, um, if not more. But uh, yeah, I mean, Nebraska fans—they showed up. I mean, they used to be able to go to Boulder every other year, and because Boulder is an awesome town um it's it's no doubt you know no doubt you'd want to go back if you can i know when Northwestern's going out there in the mid 2020s i sure as hell going um i will so i just want to say here that um
2: so like we should say just about everybody in the country forgot who nebraska was last season and to their credit even Nebraska forgot who Nebraska was, for one half. But then they remembered. Oh, did they remember? And they remembered exactly what kind of defense they have on this team. <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. At halftime, Nebraska's up seventeen nothing. Um, Colorado just can't get anything going offensively. Well, can we? Can we? Seventeen nothing. They should have been up thirty
1: to nothing. Yeah, they should have. If if Nebraska is what everybody it is is what those three hundred dollar paying fans were expecting to see, they should have been up thirty to nothing. Their their offense struggled at times, and and, and like let's be clear, Colorado could do nothing. It's like it's like Stephen Montez bet the under in the first half, and and then you know, sold some points to, to make the, the payoff even better. Like, like long con, they were so bad in the first half, Colorado, like Nebraska should have been able to march to the end zone seven different times. And the fact that they couldn't, the fact that they got like Martinez again for the second week in a row did not look fantastic. Um, I, he did look like, better than he did looked in week one, but absolutely, absolutely. And he he started
2: hotter, and to their credit, it's just, what drives me nuts is Scuzz laid out a situation where one thing Nebraska does have is athleticism and depth, even if they can't really get at it, at running back. And Maurice Washington is a speed demon, and so is Adrian Martinez. Great. I just mapped you out the exact same thing UNLV has. It's a really dangerous thing. It's two guys at a mesh point where they're both really dangerous, and in the case of Washington, as he showed in basically the only positive play Nebraska had toward the entire end of this game, um, he only needs a wrinkle of space to get around the outside and, and break off a 75-yard run. Like, he has that ability, and they can put a guy in space like that because of Martinez. And that's it. That's the end. That's what they have. Yeah, amazing, amazing,
1: amazing recruits: Dedrick Mills and Wondell Robinson. Like, not, not looking so hot uh, yep. just
0: yet. Mills, you know, eight carries for twenty four yards. Robinson, two carries for nine. Well, and, right. they, and then combined, they had five catches for fifty yards.
1: Like, that's not bad. But I, like, like where, like the 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 amazing explosive Nebraska offense remains missing. I mean the the. If your takeaway
2: from the game relative to Colorado should not be, wow, Steven Montez passed for 375 yards, it should be like, what the hell was Steven Montez doing the entire first quarter of this game? Like, the takeaway is 450 should have been where he ended up. Um, and, And again, it was like, it wasn't like shocking. Colorado was just pouring it on at the end of this game and they were doing it through the air.
0: And none of that is surprising. And they were not the... doing it to Lavisca Chenault. One of,
1: right. So one of the interesting things I read about was the fact that Nebraska just came in so jacked and so fired up, and and early on, like they were getting, they were hard to block. They were getting pressure. Montez was super uncomfortable. Like I, I, I think maybe they caused a turnover to like Colorado couldn't. Couldn't get the ball anywhere yeah. near Marviscus Chanel. Martinez which I, like
0: Martinez put it on the ground three times.
1: Lost two of them. So, I like Mon- Martinez or Montes. Martinez. Oh Martinez. Yeah, yeah. We're talking. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. But, sorry.
2: but sorry. yes, but but yeah. yes. No. Uh, take yeah Sam, yeah. Marti- feel, Mart- Sam, feel free to drop in at any
1: time and say random
2: bad things. <laughs> the the I won't get all Yeah, M-
1: Martinez fumbleitis is 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 not great right now. That's um that's a big problem. But like like. Colorado really like I I don't think that they did a very good job scheming to try and find the Viskas Chenault like he's what the greatest receiver they've had since I don't know a long time Michael um, Westbrook
0: maybe yeah, yeah. Michael
1: Westbrook I, and they, they 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 struggled to find him the biggest play he had was the was the fifty four yard punt return that looked like it was going to set up Colorado for a regulation win and then and he then... was also
0: really hurt this whole game yeah his yeah. his shoulder was messed up. Yeah, yeah,
1: so I like. A- anyways, ca- like Nebraska came out so jacked and was getting pressure and causing problems, and I I think they burned the candle too fast. I I, I they they didn't save anything for the second half. They ran out of
0: gas. I, the altitude potentially was a factor. Oh, for and, sure. I mean, like it's it's absolutely a factor, and you can ne- you'll never convince me that otherwise because you get run down in, in the second half of games, just period. Yep. And, and the, like the way
1: it ended, we were all going bananas. Um, you know, cause we've been, we've been talking about this as a, as a, uh, high scoring Colorado win for six months, maybe not that long, five months. Um, and it played out exactly that same way. I, I, it is it is shocking to me that Colorado was shut out in the first half. I, again, I don't know what they were doing or what they were thinking. They they looked much, much more crisp on offense the prior week. And, you know, the only theory I have is is when you come into your home stadium and you're not expecting it and there's, you know, 70% of the, of the stadium is packed with rabid Nebraska fans. Like, I, I wonder if that knocked them off kilter a little bit. I'll say, too, next week you got uh, Northern Illinois Huskies. Didn't look
2: half bad against Utah. Uh, no team's going to roll over for you, Nebraska. That ought to be pretty apparent now. Night night game, too. Yeah. 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. kickoff. Mm-hmm. Hey, but if you think NIU can just roll into Lincoln and get... Oh, that's right.
1: Oh, yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> uh, quickly, er, 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 <sighs> the rest of the way around the Big Ten, I mean, Ohio State... Um, 42 Cincinnati zero, uh,
2: Scuzz talk on it, Scuzz.
0: Yeah. So I was listening back to our podcast,
1: uh, earlier today from last week and it was pretty funny because I talked about how, you know, Ohio state would most likely win this game, but Cincinnati was really good. Their defense was great. They were going to make it a tight game. It was going to be really close. And from there we rolled right into army Michigan, how excited we were for that. And John, I think you're like, you know, Michigan's probably going to roll, but you know, maybe there'll be some excitement here. We completely missed missed the 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 picture on those two games. Um, look, folks, I you know I, I raised a lot of potential questions about Ohio State about their offensive line, about the readiness of Justin Fields, about the fact that J.K. Dobbins had such a gargantuan drop off last season from from his freshman year. The questions around the change from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, like this, doesn't prove that. That they've mastered all that stuff, but this was an absolute dismantling of what is a, what is still a good Cincinnati team. And and if it's any indication, you know Cincinnati I think is favored by by 16 points uh, this week against Miami of Ohio, who's a doormat certainly, but like they're good, they're a good team. Now now UCLA looked horrific, so maybe you yeah. know maybe the, the UCLA barometer here...
0: is garbage, but yeah. yeah. The,
1: the barometer here's a little off, but Cincinnati's a team that won eleven games last year and looked good doing it. And they, that game was over in the first quarter. Like like Cincinnati didn't have a prayer. They they now they did come close to scoring two touchdowns in the second half. Um, both times they they turned the ball over inside of the five yard line, so that you know they got snake bit a little bit. But Justin Fields looks phenomenal. Um Against, you know, a real, a real opponent, right. For the first time, Um, you know, what, if he, can he smoke Michigan state, Penn state, Michigan, Northwestern, those defenses, TBD, we don't know yet. Um, but the idea that this is an immature kid who, um, you know, struggled every time we saw him on the field at, at Georgia, like Ryan Day has coached him up and he's, he's a threat and I'll be honest I put Ohio State right back on top of the East in terms
0: oh. of who's who's going to probably win that conference well, and that division oh, this year. Oh, well. really, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really going out on a limb there, boys. Well, I actually i, I will i will posit that uh, one team is putting up almost seventy points a game.
2: Yeah, Penn State is. Uh, no, no, is no,
0: those...
2: Maryland. Oh, Mar- hey. Josh uh, Jackson, hey, baby. Hey, yeah, I was gonna say, Scuzz, you you might have gotten the Ohio State-Cincinnati a little off, but you are boy. You you bought into the Josh Jackson fan club way before the rest of the nation.
0: Yeah, Mar- Maryland knocks off 21 ranked Syracuse, 63 to 20. Maybe- so you know what's you know what's funny? There's been a lot of talk about um,
1: how Mike Loxley and Josh Gaddis were together at Alabama as co OCs last year. Loxley goes to Maryland. Gaddis goes to Michigan. Michigan contributes to struggle on offense while yep. all of a sudden Loxley has turned Maryland into a juggernaut. Now, you know, they they, they punched the Syracuse team in the mouth, and and Syracuse had no answer, and, and the game just went from there. Um, you know, I think at Temple this week, maybe a little bit tougher. We're going to really learn about Maryland in, in another two weeks when they host Penn State at home, or in three weeks, I should say. They've got a buy-in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a Terp fan, like, holy moly, you are, you are
0: really excited right now. Uh, we mentioned a couple times the, uh, army Michigan game. Oh man. That was that game almost ruined my day. It literally almost
1: ruined my day.
2: It did. And army had a chance to win it. And here's the thing. Here's the real takeaway, whether you watch this game or not. Everyone knows, you know, you come to Army football to watch that beautiful triple option and just to see Army try to control the ball. And Army had success, and Army really made some just a brutal mistake in the first half that kept them from getting a bigger lead. What really matters here, though, is Zach Charbonnet was 33 carries for 100 yards against Army. Okay? They had real trouble doing anything, and they were. Harbaugh had an insistence where it kind of got late, and I was like, I was really starting to wonder, because Patterson apparently was a little banged up, and I think had, what, like an oblique or something, or something that that was affecting his ability to throw, and Harbaugh kept him out there, and I was almost like, good lord, like, Dylan McCaffrey, like, because the alternative was they literally ran on every single play. I mean, I swear, there was like a stretch of 10 straight plays where I was like, really, Michigan? Michigan? An Army was handling it. And I was like, well, boy, if you're just going to trot out a hurt Shea Patterson and not let him throw. An Army, I mean, Michigan, my big takeaway was Michigan does not have the capability to run over all the best teams on their schedule. Like Michigan State and Ohio State were looking at that being like, well, I guess you just won't run against us then. Penn State too. So I was, I mean, it's they escaped with the win, but... All of a sudden, Michigan
1: is trying to figure out ways to score points. Well, and to dovetail with the conversation we've been having about Northwestern and our and our two QBs, like they subbed Dylan McCaffrey into the game four or four four or five times in the first half. Now he only attempted one pass and no runs, but they had like and the announcers we've been talking about like yeah they told us they were going to do this you know this two QB system or it was going to be a thing. Like we're going to see some of, of Dylan McCaffrey and, and, to your point, John, they went away from the second half, but like if that's something that's been going on in Michigan practice where they've been, you know, splitting reps between these guys, or they're talking about a package from McCaffrey and taking Patterson off the field. Those two dudes are not different enough to be doing anything like this. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, right. we,
0: we saw like the best two quarterback system, in Coulter and Simeon, was, you got two guys who are completely different, and you bring in to do completely different things. That to me is the only way like a dual quarterback system can work. If you got two guys who are pretty similar, Hunter Johnson and T.J. Green, for example, um, their 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 play style is very similar. What are you doing? That was the that was the weird thing for me because I was like, if if
2: Patterson's either ready to go or he's not. If he's legit hurt, and that's the thing, he looked hurt, where I was like, it's clearly hurting you to throw the ball, and it's seriously diminishing what you can do, and yeah, he threw for 207 yards, but I mean, he was in trouble, and I was like, look, you're, like, you just need a few plays, and and again, It's one thing if it's like you're legitimately juggling guys, but if it's another thing if you're like, look, Shea Patterson's the starter, but you just got to get healthy, buddy. We got to get you through. Because Michigan's defense was fine in this game. I mean, Army had 21 points in this game, 14. Yes, they made a brutal mistake early on. But, again, we've talked about how brutal it is to have to deal with this option, especially for one of the best Army teams in the past, like, 25, 30 years. Michigan did fine. Like, you just, like... Fourteen points in regulation against this Army offense—that's a good performance. They just couldn't score points, um,
1: well, and they, again, kept, they kept they kept fumbling, right uh, over and over. They made a really weird decision to go for it on fourth and something from Army's twenty when kick a field goal and get a stop, and the game is over. Um, like I they they're overthinking things or Harbaugh has, you know, truly jumped to the shark. I don't know what's going on, but there's, there's some weirdness there at the same time. i um, going back to last year's army, Oklahoma game. So Kyler Murray, like these stats are, are abject are objectively better than what Shea Patterson put up, um, predominantly the the percentage in the TDs. He was 11 of 15 for 165 yards and three TDs. Only 165 yards. There's something about playing Army that just gets into your head, not just the defensive side of trying to stop that option, but when you're on offense because your opportunities are limited, I think it just puts extra pressure. Kyler Murley o- only ran seven times for 71 yards in that game. Like hear- Think about what Oklahoma did the rest of the year. That dude won the Heisman. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL now like
2: here's so and here's here's another thing to dovetail with that too the a part of the reason we're talking about michigan right is that like they didn't look particularly hot in their first game either um but to your point of like army's capable of playing some really good football real quick i'm just going to throw this out there this is the rest of army's schedule (laughs) utsa morgan state Tulane, Western Kentucky, Georgia State, San Jose State, Air Force, UMass, VMI, Hawaii, Navy. I'm just saying, if Army's 11 and one at the end of the year, Michigan squeaking by them is going to look a little bit better. And there's a real possibility Army's going 11 and one
1: this year. What pisses me off so much is that Army had that game. They 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 were half a yard from going up 21-7 in the first half. Or I'm sorry, in the in early in the third quarter, and then just like, like I think there was one other time where they passed and threw a pick, um, that just kind of derailed them in in the second half. And oh my god, they like they were so close, guys. They were so bloody close.
0: They'd be tw- they'd be going twelve and zero. They'd be going twelve and zero with a win over Michigan. Yeah. Uh, quickly, Penn State over Buffalo, forty-five thirteen. Um. Wisconsin out Central Michigan 61-0, Michigan State 51, Western Michigan 17. Let, let's talk about Wisconsin real quick. Okay. Because, just
1: because they, they haven't been scored on yet.
0: Well, they haven't been scored on yet. They also have
1: not played anybody. Our comment last week was, like, John, I think you said, this is going to be another bloodbath from which we'll learn nothing. And it's, right. and it's true. Like, Jack Cohn was 26 of 33 for 363 yards and three TDs. This is a dude that pe- everyone, literally everyone in the media, was questioning if this guy was going to last the season as a starter. And it's interesting that after obliterating South Florida Week One, which Cohn didn't do a whole lot in that game, and then you know throwing the lights out here against against poor tapless Central Michigan, like there's talk that um, Graham Mertz is going to redshirt. Like I think that's something he said in an interview uh, after this game. Like I just. We don't know about, about Wisconsin. They play Michigan in two weeks. We'll see. I I frankly like Wisconsin in that game to win that game. But um, Jack Coney threw for three hundred and sixty three yards in that in that spot. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what this team really looks like. They're certainly good. They're certainly. I'd say they're probably in the driver's seat for the for the for the for the, for the division. Maybe Iowa um, is right there with them. But
2: I think the the one wild thing with Wisconsin is. Quintus Cephas is their number 1 target with a oh, bullet now. He's
1: awesome, yeah.
2: And he he's awesome and if you read read Michael McCann on sportsillustrated.com, Wisconsin is rolling the dice big time from a legal standpoint bringing him back and it's it's Wait, a how weird, so? because he was um it's it's a weird situation because it's not that it's not an eligibility situation. He was found not guilty in a court of law. But there are important legal challenges that it sounds like can be fairly easily made um, toward Wisconsin, toward the fact that I guess there are certain channels by which people are supposed to be readmitted in situations like this. And Wisconsin oh, basically just greenlit it immediately. And the reason that they greenlit it was – Obviously, the season they won, was about yeah, to start on the field yeah. as soon as possible. It was funny because I was counted myself um, when he was found not guilty, knowing all the facts of the case as they were presented. I was happy for the kid um, because it's I like he as as the facts were presented in court, he did not deserve to go to jail. At the same time, he also admitted to doing things that certainly fall short of the code of conduct at just about any university in the country. And I assumed that I was like, good on you, Quintes, you didn't deserve to go to jail. I don't think Wisconsin's taking you back. And not only did they take him back, they took him back immediately and he's a massive figure in their offense. So um, it's just an interesting thing it was but it, to, to be fair it wasn't something we were exactly expecting and it's from a strictly football standpoint yeah he's just he's a a big weapon for them but yeah against directional michigan i mean you've got michigan state's offense out there you know elijah collins and brian the put up 500 total yards of passing and rushing against western michigan and and if you think that's indicative of how michigan state's offense is going to be wire to wire you probably didn't watch them
0: last year uh, or or last week, yeah. yeah, or two or two weeks ago, I should say. You had Iowa shutting out Rutgers thirty to nothing. Um, game game day going to Iowa State, Iowa next week. Are games. they really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah.
1: First time in Iowa State ever. Wow, that's awesome. I, I didn't see yeah. that.
0: That's fantastic.
1: So uh, the the uh, everybody was thinking that it was going to go to um, Syracuse for Syracuse Clemson because Syracuse was I think twenty first. Uh, coming into the week in in the in the polls, and then Maryland curb stomped them um and Iowa state Iowa are both undefeated and both ranked for the at the same time for the first time ever i don 't think they 've ever both been ranked simultaneously um, Wow, which tells you a lot about Iowa state oh for sure <laughs> I mean
0: Iowa state's been a doormat for a really, really long time yeah. but uh you know they they 're buzz they've been buzzing the past few years. Um, Matt Matt Campbell, soon to be your next USC head coach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talked about Maryland-Syracuse. We talked about Nebraska-Colorado. Purdue beat Vandy Uh, uh, 42-24. Sindelar Sindelar got a concussion in that one. Oh, yeah.
1: And and threw for 509 yards. This one's one's great because
2: I think we talked about this one and and we eventually came down. One, in a game-specific sense that Purdue absolutely had to have this game and they were going to play like it. And then secondly, I just love that on we've mapped out this situation where it's like this defense is really bad and Nevada, who got obliterated, erased off the planet by Oregon this past weekend, beat Purdue because Purdue is just content to play this head-cut-off brand of
1: football. But,
2: man, is their offense good.
1: <laughs> Rondell Moore, 13 receptions for 220 yards and one TD. Uh, and we talked about – I've talked about him probably five times now across previews in the last couple of weeks. David Bell, four catches for 82 yards. He averaged more than 20. They had another guy, Jared Sparks, that, that had uh, a big 50-yard reception. Um, this – this receiver core, and I, like, I don't know about Elijah Sand- Sindelar's um, concussion. He played the whole game. He was uh, better than 60% completion for 509 yards with a with an almost 10 yards per clip average and five TDs. Like, holy moly, this team is, is,
0: is an offensive juggernaut. Uh, Illinois went to UConn and won 31 in a fairly ugly game. Here's here's how to phrase
2: this: Illinois lost the first quarter and the fourth quarter to maybe the worst team in college football. UConn beat Wagner twenty-four twenty-one the week before and had the worst defense of a hundred and thirty teams in college football.
0: And uh, so, good good work, Illinois. Uh, music to my ears. Indiana shut out Eastern Illinois fifty-two nothing. Um, so, so, sorry. Uh... Yeah. Welcome to the jungle coach. Cushing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Kush. And then, um uh, Minnesota needed double overtime, uh, to beat Fresno, uh, 38, 35. I don't know what to think about this. I'll be honest.
1: Um, I mean the Minnesota defense, obviously, struggle it re- it it really looked like Fresno like midway through the fourth quarter was going to win this game and then Minnesota pulled out a TD and a field goal I I don't know if there were um any turnovers that factored into that but um I don't know I don't know Or, sorry I should say they pulled uh they, it, it looked like Fresno was going to win this game and then Minnesota pulled out a a TD with forty six seconds left, um, they had like a sixty yard drive, uh, and then and then in OT, you know, managed to get the field goal and, and stop, uh, picked off Fresno in the end zone. But like this, this very could have easily been a 41-38 Fresno win, um, if they didn't throw that pick and they had. They had scored the TD in OT. This could have been a 28-21 Fresno win in regulation. Like, very easily in both cases. It's also on the road on the West Coast. I, I just don't know what to think. I mean, I'll say this. Minnesota played reasonable against a reasonable opponent. Is that fair? Yeah. they. I think,
2: again, everything that we would expect out of this game, I mean, I think they had... You know, it's funny, you're like, they barely won, and you look at their running game, and it's like, Rodney Smith had a bad day, and Mohamed Ibrahim had just enough of a good day for them to get a three-point win over Fresno State. And I'm so,
1: just, so that's the exact opposite of what happened last week, which right. was just good enough to get a one-point win over an FCS school.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about playing to the level of your opponent. We'll, we'll 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 see how uh, how Minnesota progresses um turn to our ten- uh, t
1: t teams continue to focus on Tyler Johnson and let them and let Minnesota
0: throw to Rashad Bateman i might add oh, you mean the first overall pick in the next year's draft Tyler Johnson? Yes, he had he had a better game this time.
1: He had four catches for 71 yards. Oh, okay. So now i believe on the year he has uh seven catches for um 99 yards yes that's right that's two games worth of activity
0: yeah move move over to the dolphins are calling it's just to remember too it's like for
1: tyler (laughs)
2: but i mean just everybody remember just so we're all clear rodney smith and muhammad ibrahim had 39 combined carries in this game that's where minnesota's living And it's like, if you take that away from them, it's not like Tanner Morgan and his receivers are going to be the answer moving Minnesota up and down the field. It's like Minnesota will go as far enough as this run-heavy offense will take them, and they got just enough out of that
0: game uh, to get the win. Um, Quickly, we'll run through this weekend's uh, schedule. Uh, You've got Ohio State at Indiana. Ohio State a 16-point favorite. Sounds about right. I am
1: I am much less concerned about. Well, or I I was I was talking in previews about the potential for Indiana to upset Ohio State in this game. I don't think that that's likely anymore. Um, part of that factor is that Michael Penix, uh, Indiana's QB, has been banged up. He's questionable. He'll probably play, but
0: I I, I think I think Ohio State is back. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, you got Pitt at Penn State. Penn State a 17-point favorite. Pitt, Pitt ain't good. No. Nah. Uh as much as I want them to be. Maryland at Temple. Maryland a 7-point favorite. That seems really low, seeing what Maryland's done the last couple weeks.
2: That does. Temple's only played one game, and I think it was against an FCS team. Yeah, it was, and it was against Bucknell, which is, that's Patriot League. So, all due respect to the Patriot League, like... That's not good football relative to the rest of the FCS, and uh, that seems really low. I don't know, but we're going to find out. I mean, Jackson's absolutely dealing right now.
0: I kind of feel like Maryland's going to put it on him. Uh, Eastern Michigan at Illinois. Illinois a 7.5-point favorite. Uh, choke on your creamy
2: frosting, <laughs> Illinois.
0: Praying for it. Praying for it. Um, have you guys seen the spread for the uh, the Cats and the Rebels?
1: I right, am. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Eight, eighteen and a half. That's down. It opened at twenty and a half. All right. A lot of be- a lot of betting on UNLV, folks. That's the smart yeah, bet. We no. think Northwestern is going to win this game. That's the smart. Take bet. Take the points.
2: Hey, I. But I sure want to see that situation. And can all those eighteen and a half be Hunter Johnson touchdown throws? Come on.
0: <laughs> uh, Georgia Southern at Minnesota. Minnesota, ooh, ooh. fifteen and a half point favorite. So, so Georgia Southern. Oh, wait a
1: minute. That,
0: you're thinking of Georgia State, aren't you?
1: Who beat Tennessee?
0: Georgia State. George. Yeah. Oh, all we right. we screwed that oh. up a couple weeks ago, but I only noticed that later. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah,
1: this is probably gonna be a blowout. I was really excited when I saw this on the on the on the list because I was like, oh man. This is going to be a a bear for Minnesota, but no, it's not. They're going to
0: easily win this game. Uh, You got Arizona State at Michigan State. Michigan State a 14-point favorite.
2: This is a good one because Michigan State's one of those teams that we still feel like we're really trying to figure out. Arizona State hasn't really played anybody this year. Um, I mean, they really haven't. Kent State, who's really bad, and Sacramento State, who's an FCS team. But – I Michigan State's one of those teams where I'm really still looking. I mean, obviously, and we play them the week after, so we're really looking to know kind of what they've got from an offensive perspective. And, again, their defense has done exactly what we thought we were gonna, it was going to do. Now they get a little bit higher of an octane opponent, and we'll see if it's still clicking.
1: Do you know um, what, uh, what Michigan State is giving up from a running perspective right now, average? Under twenty, not
2: not a lot, <laughs> zero. Oh, oh God, is that what it is? Because they had that one total, game with the negative, right?
1: Total rush yards per game minus three. How? Yeah. Oh boy. So, okay.
2: So, like I said, you know, just look at it as as Hunter's Hunter's going to be throwing all day for good or for bad. You know, don't uh, we're not going to be the magical solution that solves that problem. You can beat them through the air. You can beat them through the air, and we're gonna try to do that. It's like if Michigan State
0: wasn't undefeated last year, they just do that thing unbelievably well. Uh, Iowa at Iowa State. uh, The Hawkeyes a two point favorite.
2: Iowa State, boy, good thing they didn't blow it to Northern Iowa. The uh, that would erect it. They'd be that 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 close to not getting their first trip ever. But uh, that is cool. That is awesome. That it's that it's in Ames. That it's, uh, you know, the the western Iowa, eastern Nebraska region. It's good to
0: know where the football hotbed is in that region. It's definitely <laughs> in Ames, Iowa. A TCU at Purdue. Uh, the Frogs, a two-and-a-half point favorite on the road. Is TCU any good? I have no idea. I, I, realized I don't as think a, so, but I don't know. Uh, boy, I,
2: I don't know. Uh, that... That seems amazing to me. What's the over-under in that game? 51 and a half? 51 and oh, a half? Oh, boy. Do you think TCU's scoring zero points in this game? <laughs> I Wow. Uh, take the over, folks. This Purdue is scoring boatloads of points in this game. We'll find out if TCU is got the offense to score boatloads of points, too. They probably do. But, yeah, Purdue is Purdue ain't playing in games where people don't score tons of points. That's not how they're
0: operating this year. And then uh Northern Illinois at Nebraska under the lights. Uh, N I U. N. I. U. Nebraska a fourteen point favorite in that one. Um, any other big games nationally that you guys are, are taking a look at? I mean, there's nothing really quite on the level of the uh the, the Texas L S U game or the A uh Clemson game this this week.
1: I'm curious how Stanford looks going to UCF. Um Sounds like KG Costello is going to play. Sounds like their their all world tackle Walter Little is is out, out for, for the, the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, and USC at BYU. Uh, so we talked a little bit off the top. Like Stanford looked pretty decent in the first half against USC. I don't know what happened in the second half. I went to sleep. Um, I think USC took USC took a lead. On, on a weird like the ref was kidding about it being halftime type. Deal. I don't know what actually happened. It was weird, but um, they blew the whistle for halftime, and then everyone was kind of like, "Oh no, maybe not. Maybe we're not quite there yet." Um, and and Stanford got to run more, one more play to no avail. But point being, like whatever whatever came off the rails for Stanford in that game, I'm very curious to see if they get it back. Um, with KJ Costello in a in a really tough tough place. Uh, UCF is favored by seven and a half, and then. You know USC, this team that you know the shutdown full cast has been joking all summer about USC going zero and six in their first six games. There, you know they have one quarterback announce he's transferring before the season. That's Jack Sears, who who didn't win the starting or backup job, and then JT Daniels gets injured in the first game, and now, and now it's like oh boy. You know, the, the the ship's about to come off the rails, and all of a sudden they, they get a blowout win against Stanford. Now they go to BYU, who just won at Tennessee. Folks, if you're paying attention, that means Tennessee is 0-2 with two home losses to clearly inferior mm-hmm. opponents. I can't even do it with a straight face. Um, do not smirched, Georgia State, sir. Uh, you I, mean inferior historically, maybe. <laughs> sure. Um, point being, like, this BYU team is, is – a, coming off a massive win, but B is decent, and, you know, BYU is no easy place to play. So I, those are two interesting games um, that happen at a reasonable time of day, by the way, 3.30 Eastern time, um, that I'll be curious about.
2: Yeah,
0: I don't really have any that are jumping out, but this well, is one of those weeks. This you're is always you're not way. interested in the bloodbath at, at Westwood, Oklahoma at UCLA?
2: I am, just because I want to see them score a bunch of points. Um, the Also, I will say this one. The Auburn-Kent State, I don't know if you guys read, but Kent State was playing, I think, an FCS team this past week. And there was a field hockey game. Like, the field hockey team was hosting a tournament. Oh, and, goodness. And, and Maine and, oh, I think it was, was it Temple? I, if I'm getting this wrong... Um, but two teams were playing field hockey and the game went to double overtime and the location for the game, they stopped the game from going into double overtime. um, Not so that the football game could start, but so that the fireworks display before the football game could start. That's one NCAA sport not being able to finish so that a fireworks display for another NCAA sport can take place. So what I'm saying here is, Bo Nix, I want seven touchdowns minimum out of you, buddy. Uh, Auburn, the hundo should be in play here. However many points you can put on this team, let's see what the maximum is. Because that was some just abject ridiculousness. Because again, we're not talking about one team having to move so another team can play their game. You're talking about a division 1 sport having to stop so that another division 1 sport can watch fireworks.
0: Ridiculous. North Carolina Wake Forest could be interesting. I mean, North Carolina 2 and 0. Under Mac Brown, very interesting. I, 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 the world is upside down. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Have you guys seen his him dancing? By the way, uh, unfortunately, that is burned into my retinas. <laughs> I'll give him. I'll give him some credit. It was. It was. It
1: was. It was, it was uh, mildly entertaining. Um, Clemson, Syracuse. You know that's a Syracuse is a really hard place to play. We know that. Um, I, there's Mon- Oregon hosting Montana. I don't know. Like Montana's. Kind of scary, maybe. Florida, Kentucky. For Oregon, really? Are... Well, no, but, I mean, maybe if they have a bad game. Um, I it's guess pe- a... pe- pe- people in my neck of the woods are going to be going, going bonkers because Florida's coming to Kentucky, so. I would say it's like if you're
2: looking to make a case for, I don't know, I mean, South Carolina? I don't know. I mean, really, if you're, this is the kind of week where you come out of it being totally shocked by some massive upset and no one saw yeah. it coming. It's just the matchups, Just not, there's so few that seem conducive to something like that. I would say Scuzz's Indiana-Ohio State call is as good a guess as any. Um, if you're looking for something that shouldn't by any rights happen but then does, I can't make a better case for any game than that. There just aren't many teams in a position that haven't already screwed the pooch somehow.
0: All right. Um, we got anything else to uh, to go over before we get out of here tonight, guys? I'll throw out this real quick, and that's um, we were talking about field
1: hockey a minute ago. Uh, Northwestern's field hockey team had quite an opening weekend to the season. They um, lost a really tight game to Duke, who's the number three team in the country, and then they knocked off number thirteen Boston College and have kind of proven that they're they're a team that's in the mix um, in, in the in the in the NCAA uh, in field hockey. So. Um, you know an exciting an exciting subplot to uh keep tuned to I shouldn't say subplot but um knowing that we're football junkies you know um we are a bit distracted this time of year but uh yeah so, you know a, a continuation of of you know some of the other sports at Northwestern that have been doing so well over the past you know 2 3 years and volleyball's been playing really really well too yeah i saw um i saw a clip where uh we have we have this awesome um this awesome players who uh notched like four
0: straight aces but yeah i mean cats are 5 and 1 right now you know at the beginning of the season
2: yeah Temi thomas a lara uh, a freshman sensation it seems like we've got Hot freshmen across multiple sports right now. Uh, multiple women's sports, big-time players coming in. And uh, Temi Thomas Alara, yeah, uh, was hitting in a big way. Seven serving aces, big win over uh, Texas Tech, was the Big Ten freshman of the week. So pretty awesome. It's just yet, yet another big young gun for Northwestern sports to keep an eye on.
0: Oh, well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlottpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, And you can always email the show WestlawPirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the South Golf Lot uh, next to Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LaCombe and Eric Skazwa, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh,